Blog Talk Radio. And I just want to wish everyone a very wonderful and blessed new year. I'm so excited today to have with me Dr. Gary Gulbrinson, who is the senior pastor of Westminster Chapel in Bellevue, Washington. And you all know at least those of you who listen to me regularly, you know that I live in Washington State. And guess what? Dr. Gary is my pastor. Now, I've not been here for 27 years, but he has faithfully served at Westminster for 27 years. And I would just like to welcome him. And as I do, I want you to do the same. So, Pastor Gary, welcome to Living Well. Thank you so much for being here. Well, you're welcome, Zenobia, and I'm I'm honored to be a part of your first one in the new year. That I get to be a part of this is great. (laughs) It really is. And I just want to give uh, the background uh, to the audience, particularly for those who have not had the opportunity to read the episode profile. Today's show is called... Hope and love blossom at the point of intersection and interchange. And when you think about hope and love, folks, they are really huge topics. And I'm asking Pastor Gary to unpack these for us from a biblical perspective. Now, those of you who might be saying, now, why is she bringing the Bible in? I think I mentioned years ago that I realized that everyone does not believe in the Bible, does not believe in God. But please, just give us these next few minutes to listen. This is a time, these days, we are in very precarious times, and you just might get some undergirding. So, Dr. Gary, I'm going to ask you to share with us what it means to you to, to when you think about hope and love in these times, the times that we are seated in today. Just jump in here however you want, and we'll just, just keep on going. Okay, let, let me do that, uh, Zenobi. I want to think a little bit about my own personal journey. Um, I was born into a family that was full of life's difficulties. Uh, My parents were married straight out of high school with baby on the way. Uh, There wasn't a lot of real demonstration of love and hope in the family that I was raised in. Not until uh, I was about 11 years of age, my parents were in their middle 30s, and we had moved to a new neighborhood where a neighbor just came and loved us. Uh, he wanted to get to know us. He wanted to, get to care about the kids who were part of the family. Uh, it just so happened that he was involved in a little church up the road, and he wanted to make sure that we uh, had some kind of religious base to our life together because he could tell we were kind of floating around with uh, no foundation. And he 
uh, it was honestly not what he said as much as what he did. He cared for us. He loved us. And I've never forgotten that. I was only 11 years of age at the time, but it, it was actually the part that God used to bring me into a relationship with himself. And over the years, I've come to understand that uh, that isn't just um, you know, the answer to our life situation, to find love somewhere along the line. It is really our assignment that once we've experienced it for ourselves, once we know the reality of it, then it becomes our responsibility to pass it on to somebody else. And that's pretty much why I'm involved in the kind of work that I do. That's why I'm involved in ministry, is to help people understand that uh, the most important thing that they could embrace in this life is the fact that God is love and that he has given us the capacity to love as well, and that we need to share that with as many people as we possibly can. You know, Zenobia, that in our church, we've been talking a lot about this in recent days, uh, talking about it from a very practical standpoint. Uh, we don't believe that love only uh, happens when you come to church or you're in a religious setting. We believe that ha love needs to happen where we live, work, and play. And so we've been talking a lot about that, learning to love where you live. So in the, the apartment building that you're a part of, and, and for me and my wife, we live in a 352-unit apartment building, and we see people every day that we need to know and who need to know that uh, we care about them uh, and that God loves them, and that's part of the assignment he's given to us. Uh, we need to learn to love where we work. And you know, when you stop to think about the kind of interactions that take place in a person's life with all the influence that we have, uh, that's an ideal place to demonstrate some acts of love. And then, of course, we should love where we play as well. It shouldn't be separate from those things. So that's kind of where my mind's been in recent days. Yes, and you're right. Um, I hear this from you. We hear this from you um, quite frequently, and it's become it's become a, I can see that it's become a real living part of of our membership there at Westminster um but in terms of unpacking it uh a little bit more what might love look like what might love look like and how does hope spring out of love and and or love spring out of hope well, in the way I look at those two things in relationship to each other, uh, Zenobia, is that, is that I think that love is the practical expression of what hope is all about. Hope is the context that we find where we come to believe that life has its meaning and purpose in something bigger than ourselves or our relationships or where we work or where we live or where we play. And uh, so once we've come to understand that there is something bigger in store for us that kind of pulls us through life, then we can start making the kinds of decisions that look like love in other people's lives. Uh, love from God's perspective is always tied to an act of the will. It's expressed in sacrifice. In fact, God made it very clear in the Bible that he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners or far from him, not thinking about him, he demonstrated love by sending Jesus uh, for us. And so we've got this very real example in history of God stepping into our human condition and loving us through the sacrifice of his son. And then he calls us to do the same thing. Uh, in the New Testament book that talks about God being love, that God is love, that's his primary characteristic. It talks about uh, the fact that we know what love is when we offer sacrifice to somebody else, when we lay down our lives for the sake of someone else, when we take on their concerns, their causes is bigger than our own. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so in, intrigued, have been over the years with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, we're a couple of weeks away from 
uh, the anniversary of his birth, and uh, it's been a day that's been designated in our society to reflect on how do we cross cultural barriers and uh, ethnic barriers to love one another. And he's the one that actually said love is not the answer, it is the assignment that, that we have in this life. And I think by his, his life, he demonstrated what that looks like. So that's a little I bit of how I see it. Yeah. yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King is a great example of human love for sure across denominations, across ethnicities, as you've already said. Um, I remember before I became a Christian, um, I was on a bus, and this young lady came up to me, and she just looked, she was just so distraught, and she 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 just looked at me straight in the eyes and said, what is love? She had been oh, wounded. Really? She had no. been wounded by, yes, she had been wounded by, um, I guess it was, I don't know if it was her husband or boyfriend or whatever, but she had been so deeply wounded. And I was inadequate to 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 say what it was. I didn't know. I couldn't respond. I'm glad I didn't because I would have given her the wrong answer. But, oh, how I reflect on that very often. I reflect back on that day, and I can still see her face to this day, and I wish I had known Jesus then because it would have been, what she needed for me to say God is love and to share with her how I came to know that he is love. But I, I, she was empty and so was I. And now she had no hope. She had no hope. She had let, I had no hope and she had less than me. And you know, it's just really sad when we, when we don't know that God is love and that he stands there ready to help us with whatever our need is. We look at the conditions of this world today, and young people in particular, I hear young people all the time, but older people too, people in general, they are without hope. They're looking around and they're thinking, you know, I can't get a job or I have a job and I lost my job. I don't have a house. I'm living in a tent. Some are not even living in a tent. They're living on the sidewalk. So where is this hope that I'm supposed to have? And where's this love that you speak about, Zenobia? Where's this love that you speak about, Pastor? Let's speak to the, let's speak into those lives. They're probably not listening right now, but maybe some of the listeners know people who are experiencing great loss and hopelessness. And, and I know that for a fact, Zenobia. I see them every day. They come through the doors of this place, this church that I serve. Uh, you know, we're a, f- a fairly good-sized church, and we've got lots of people that we care for. But we have tried to build our relationships with people who come here around these concepts of love and hope uh, with the sense that people are coming to us and wanting to know that we're different than the world around us, that we're not selfish, that we're going to look out for their concerns, that we're going to care about the fact that at times they go hungry or uh, they may be in bondage to things where they need to find some release and uh, that somebody is going to accept them as they are. Uh, So those are the kinds of things that we try to do here. I try to meet some of their physical needs, which are expressions of love, but to reach beyond the physical to their emotional needs and eventually hopefully help them understand that uh, at the heart of uh, this love thing is our relationship with God, that he's the one that stands secure, never changes, always there in the same way toward us. And he gives us the capacity to love that way. 
uh, it's a shame that there are times when we haven't demonstrated that, when oftentimes the church uh, feels a little, I'm talking about church in general, looks a little standoffish, doesn't engage in the, the needs of the people around it. Um, we live in a world that is really spoiled and uh, spoiling for a fight, and we need to help people uh, find their way into authentic relationship. And I think for young people in particular today, that's what they're looking for. They've kind of gotten turned off to what they sense is judgmentalism on the part of uh, church people, that sometimes we put the rules in front of them, we speak truth in a, in a harsh way, as opposed to speaking truth with love, uh, wanting to build the kind of relationship that actually transforms. So those are things we need to be concerned about. Um, I want to talk a little bit about hope and how how that makes a difference in our lives. One of uh, one of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis, who lived a couple of generations ago and wrote some very intelligent things. He thought very deeply about his own relationship with God and the world he was a part of. But he said this about hope. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So it's not becoming so satisfied with this life that we miss out on the fact that there's something bigger and something better that uh, God has in mind for us. That's why we were created. It's what our uh, a primary purpose for us is to find what that hope looks like and, and put it to work in our lives. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who uh, is arguably the smartest man who ever lived, King Solomon, said that God has actually planted eternity in our hearts. So there is this little ache inside of us that says there must be something else, there must be something bigger that holds us in place. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, that's definitely what, I mean, I knew that for sure as God was drawing me. Um, I had grown up going to church, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. It was a it was a tradition, you know, you went to church every Sunday and in the middle of the week sometimes, but I did not have a relationship with him. I never came to the point. I did know that I needed to come to the point to confess that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior and to ask God to forgive me and to come into my heart and be my savior and, um, and when and but as I saw him, and I look back because I didn't see it. But when I look back, I could see that that hole that I felt. I always would ask, "What's the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life?" And so, people, if you are listening and you have been asking that question or a question that would uh, come close to that, that's God with His fingerprint on your heart, and He is standing at your door, as the Bible tells us. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. But he's not going to force himself in, is he, Pastor? No, that's not the way he works. Uh, he wants us to, to make a decision to move in his direction. Uh, he wants us to open that door to him that you're talking about so and invite him to come in, as opposed to barging in and uh, taking over our lives. That's not the way he works. No, and, and you know, yeah. that makes me think. Go ahead, Pastor. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, was, I want you to uh, talk about that. I was, um, that makes me think about people, including Zenobia, before I came to know him in a personal way, saying, well, you know, if he is love and if he is real, 
then why is all this suffering going on, you know? And why did why did he let this happen? And why did he let that happen? And it goes back to the fact that the world itself is not sinless and also goes back to the fact that he doesn't push us to do anything. He allows us to exercise our will. And many of the things that I would find myself embroiled in and other people find themselves embroiled in, we can't say that that's God's fault. That's a choice. Most of this, many things, I can't say most because I don't know what is in someone's mind, but many of the things that we experience are the result of our choices. God didn't force us to do anything. He never does. No, that's very, very that's, true. Very true. But so one of the, the, perhaps the biggest objection to the Christian faith is suffering in our world. If God was truly a God of love, why would he let people that he loves go through difficult experiences? Why would he let them suffer? And there are, or a number of reasons why people suffer. And you just mentioned one of them is sometimes people suffer because they made bad choices and they are experiencing the consequences of their choices. God doesn't remove all the consequences of the stupid things we do sometimes. And then sometimes we're the innocent, uh, we're innocently affected by the bad choices of other people. Uh, that often happens yeah. in when war happens or something like that, where you didn't choose uh, the kinds of things that are, are happening, but you uh, experience the effect of it. But more often than not, what God simply wants us to understand is that we live in a broken world, and he is the answer to that brokenness, that he will sometimes use the suffering, the hard times in our life, not to separate us from his love or to separate us from hope, but to move us toward that. Uh, when I look at my own family experience, I believe the difficulties that my family experienced in those early years as, uh, as the kids came along and we were a part of a home where there was a lot of uh, internal uh, tension and alcohol abuse and some verbal abuse and some other things that were taking place, uh, that God was little by little helping us understand that that's not where we wanted to stay. That's not where we wanted to live. And when a man came along and told us that our lives could be different, that God had something better in mind for us, that he actually loved us enough to uh, provide that way, it made all kinds of sense. And uh, I look back and uh, it was the summer of 1961, seems like a long time ago, but there was a, a powerful change in our home. Uh, the contents of the refrigerator changed. My parents uh, began to talk to each other with respectful tones and loving tones, and they started loving us kids in ways that we hadn't experienced before. And uh, we started going to church together as a family. That was an expression of some of the change that God was working in our lives. But it was very obvious that he was love, and he was now living at our house and living in our family, and he was the one that was making that kind of a difference. Uh, you know, when, when people go through suffering and they can't experience God's love or can't see him in the midst of it all, that's a very tough place to be. And especially when they go through suffering and they have no hope, uh, when they see their suffering as an end in and of itself. I think you know a little bit of my story, uh, Zenobia. You know that one of the hardest things that Jory and I have gone through in our, our married life is the death of a daughter. Our oldest yes. daughter passed away in 1998. She was 23 years of age. She was newly married and as happy as she'd ever been in her life. And her heart skipped a beat and didn't start again. She was here with us one minute and gone the next. And I can tell you that even though I've been in pastoral ministry for almost 40 years, and I've walked with a lot of people through their difficulties, when it hits your own family, when it hits your own life, uh, that's a pretty powerful thing, a pretty powerful shock. And 
I can tell you that I would not have been able to handle that if I didn't have the hope that there was something bigger than this life, that there was an eternity that God had in mind for uh, our daughter and had in mind for us, and that uh, when her life ended here, uh, it had not ended from God's perspective, that she was going to continue to live. And that's that's what hope is all about. Hope is uh, something that we don't necessarily see. In fact, uh, the scriptures talk a, a lot about uh, the fact that faith is uh, is tied to this hope experience and, and our ability to trust even when we can't see the outcome. And that's what God did for us. He built our trust level. He strengthened our hope. And I think he's made us even more loving along the way. Amen. Amen. That is huge. And the other thing he's done is that because of your experience, when others um, experience a, a similar loss, how, how are you used? How are you able to share with them? That's, that's a great question. Uh, I never would have selected for myself uh, a portfolio of helping people work through their, their grief. But in the 20 years since our daughter passed away, uh, Jory and I never go through a month without having somebody call us from someplace in the country uh, who find themselves in the midst of the same kind of struggle, where they've had a child die or they've uh, experienced grief in a way that's very powerful and they can't get past it. And through word of mouth or uh, some friends along the way, they, they'll call us and and God's allowed us to be able to lovingly tell them the truth about eternity and uh, help them find some, some sense of hope even in the midst of their, their most dark experiences. And uh, I love the fact that God's allowed us to do that. But like I said, I wouldn't have chosen that uh, years and years and years ago as the way that God might use me, but he certainly has. And he's used Jory. Jory speaks often at retreats and other things where she helps women learn to grab hold of their story, to find God's presence in it, and especially to work through times of uh, sorrow, times of grief. Yeah. And she's a mighty, mighty uh, woman of God and a wonderful influence in our church, of course, as your wife. And I am just glad to be able to call her my friend. And I call you my friend as well. And I'm just and so... And you, you are ours. And I know that. And I appreciate that. You know, who would have thought that I would have been moved from across the country to come and be at the Westminster Chapel to meet a Jory and Gary Gulbertson and my myself and my husband Irwin and we have been so blessed by you and by having been there. I um you know just thinking about what you were saying about God using you and Jory and your daughter's death to be able to share with so 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 many people. That's that's God's love. That's the love he he sheds to all of us. He wants to avail it to every single person that's in this world. He created man and woman. And to give us the hope, you know, I think about people who've gone through a divorce, and sometimes a very nasty divorce, people who have experienced wayward children. Uh, I'm one of those. People who whatever the the negative, what we deem to be negative is, we experience these things. The Bible tells us that we experience these things so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. And, I mean, no one's sitting around saying, you know, pour all the this, this, this ugliness on me so I can be a blessing. 
but that's where God's love and our love comes together. We are mimicking him. You and Jury were mimicking him when you began to speak to other people about how they can cope with, with, with this deep loss of a child. You know, it's just, it's mind-boggling, really, when we see how God uses even what might be hopelessness on the one hand and turns it into hopefulness. Yes, for sure. And I think it is wonderful. And I think part of that, as Zenobia, is to make sure that we don't write God's endings for Him. Our tendency is to, when we're in the midst of difficulty, whether it's the breakup of a marriage or we're suffering with an illness or we've had a business reversal or life just hasn't turned out the way we wanted it to, is that we we write the ending too quickly. We assume that things can't change, and God's in the life-changing business. Uh, one of my favorite little quotes isn't from the Bible. It was from Yogi Berra, a baseball player, who said, it ain't over till it's over. So what he wanted us to, to recognize is you need to keep going. And uh, you need to trust that at the end of your process, if you truly believe that God is love and he's involved in your life, that he has something good for you uh, down down the road. Uh, it may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week, but it's out there in the future for us. And we do know that the heaven that he's prepared for us is exactly what he had in mind from the very beginning. And it's a place that's perfectly uh, surrounded with his love and hope. I love this this verse from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. It was one of my life verses early on that says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's uh, that God doesn't want us to write the endings too quickly. He wants us to continue to trust him. I love that, Pastor. And I think I would like to ask you to um, have parting words for us, if, if, unless you want to end on that note, and then we're going to say farewell for today. Okay, now just, like just the, that? yeah, well, that verse is a great place for us to wrap up here. And for me to be able to say, I've experienced this not because of the profession I've chosen, I've experienced this because I'm an individual who I, has experienced God's love personally and who uh, has been able to share it with others. And that's the most important thing for me. And it's all tied to a hope I have for eternity. And I want everybody who's listened today to experience the same thing. Very nice. Very good. And, folks, if you would like to learn more about Pastor Gary and the ministry of Westminster Chapel, you can visit the website at westminster.org, www.westminster.org. And I'd like to thank you again, Pastor, for being on the show. So good night, everybody, and God bless Welcome. you. Welcome. Bye-bye. Happy, bye now. Happy 2020, everyone. <laughs>